So cool. Well, good to see you guys this morning. Good to be with you. Good to be with you on the live stream and on demand this week. We're grateful for uh, the opportunity to gather together and all the ways that God has given us the privilege to do that uh, today. And uh, we are going to get into God's Word right now. So if you can be reaching for your Bibles, and we're going to be on the very first page of the New Testament in Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. And we're going to start with something that uh, King Solomon said So we start out this new series um, called With Joy and With Songs. We're going to look at three Christmas carols alongside the Christmas narrative. Uh, But we want to start with King Solomon, something that he said back in the um, book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 3, verse 11. He said, God has put eternity into the human heart. God has put eternity into the human heart. And, And we say that in different ways. We can talk about the divine spark that all of humanity has, or we can talk about the God consciousness that human beings have. It could be for a lot of people, because they wouldn't necessarily say it in that way. They wouldn't necessarily say, you know, I just have this sense of God, but a lot of people might just have this, you know, there has to be something more feeling inside of them. And that's the divine spark. That's the eternity in the human heart that God has has put there, and it's the reason why people spend a lifetime searching for meaning. It's why scientists pursue knowledge. It's why artists pursue beauty. It's why all of us want to have this sense of being loved by someone else. It's this eternity, this sense of something more that God has put inside of every one of us. And to say it another way, uh, it's, uh, it is that God has made it so that we would long for Him. God's made it so that we would long for Him, even if we don't know it, even if we resist it, even if a person hates the idea of it, even if they wouldn't say it in that exact way, God has made it so that we will long for Him. And that longing is a big part of the Christmas story. And I think it explains why even unbelievers are so fascinated by the nativity, not so much fascinated by Easter as much as they're fascinated by Christmas, by the actual nativity story of this baby being born in Bethlehem. And so in this series, we're going to be looking at, as I said, these Christmas songs alongside the gospel accounts of the nativity. And and as we think about this longing for Jesus, then the song that came to mind, of course, was O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And I hope you're interested in this, just a little of the history behind the song itself so that we can frame this up a bit. Um, it was originally, originally written in Latin in the uh, 12th century. So this is really an old one, about 900 years old uh, for us. It was used as part of the worship litur- liturgy in monastic orders at the time. And it was translated into English uh, just in the uh, mid-1800s, so not too long ago relative to how old the, the song is. It was translated into English, and around the same time, mid-1800s, the tune that we associate with O Come, O Come, Emmanuel was attached to the lyrics. Um, It's unique among the carols uh, because it is um, a lament, and uh, and, and it's often performed or sung in a minor key, although today I'm told by Joel we're going to be singing it in a major key, and I'll just say that much to let you know that I think that I know what both of those things mean. Um, But for those of you who are musicians, you will understand the difference between a minor key and a major key. And it's normally sung in a minor key, which, as I understand, is perfectly suited for 
a lament, which it, which it is. It speaks to the depth of the human condition. It's also unique in the sense that it, it's written from the other side, from our perspective, it's written on the, from the other side of Christmas. It's, it's written without any knowledge that a child is born. It's, it's written hopefully, it's written as a lament, it's written before the events of the nativity take place, the birth of Christ. And, and, and really, as a result of that, it, it reflects the mood and the perspective of the principal characters in the nativity story. It reflects the mood of Joseph and Mary, who are Old Testament Christians who are awaiting the coming of the Messiah. It reflects the mood of the shepherds and of the magi who waited and who saw the star. It, it reflects all of their perspective as coming before the events of Christmas that we know as they longed for the promised Messiah. And for us, even though Messiah has come for us some 2,000 years ago, and we've been rehearsing this story over and over again ever since, the longing remains real for us. We're still longing for the full effect of what the Messiah has done to take effect in this world, in the creation. The Savior has come, but the, the world as we know it still, and to borrow um, a word from um, Romans 8.22, the world groans. I love that word. The world groans under the weight of sin. We're awaiting the Savior's return, and until then, the creation is in less than a perfect situation. In fact, I think we all know this. I think we know this because, you know, we groan even as we come to worship on Sundays because we know it's not like it was before. Lots of empty seats, and we have to wear masks, and singing is strongly discouraged, and I can't hug you, and there's no handshakes, and, and all of these things that we would normally do, no lingering in the lobby to just have a coffee and talk with someone. And, and that's, this pandemic has, has accentuated the groaning of the world, the economics of our day which separate the haves from the have-nots, the rich from the poor. And the pandemic, by the way, read anything economists are writing right now, this pandemic is making the rich richer and the poor poorer. The earth is groaning under the weight of sin. There are wars, there is political unrest, there is poverty, there is famine. There's injustice. We live in a democracy. We live in a place where people have a voice. We live in a place of liberty and freedom and prosperity, and still there are gross injustices happening in our own country, because the world is groaning under the weight of sin, and people still die, and cemeteries are still being populated, and divorce happens, and families are shattered, and sexuality is confused, and addictions are rampant. And I doubt there's anyone who would dispute the fact that the earth is groaning under the weight of sin as we await our Savior's return. We're longing for that, longing for the perfection God intends for us. So how then does this longing play out in my life? We're going to look today at Joseph, who is the earthly father of of Jesus, and Joseph is going to give us some clues as to understanding that longing as he responds to his part in the Christmas story. 
and we're going to understand our own response to it all. We're going to read the passage rather than me reading the whole passage right now. We're going to read it as we go here. This is in Matthew chapter 1, beginning at verse 18. And in your notes and on the screen right now, the main point that we're going after in this message, there is a Jesus-instilled longing in my heart that compels me. There is a Jesus-instilled longing in my heart that compels me to, first of all, see the plight of my life without Him. All right, let's start at verse 18. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When His mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, well, let's just pause right there. What do we have going on here? We have... Um, a baby being born, and we have a young couple who are engaged. A baby being born and a young couple who are engaged. In other words, just the ordinary happenings of a young couple living in a small village. He likes her, she likes him, their families approve. They get engaged, they're planning the wedding. The registry is set up at Bed Bath and Beyond in Nazareth, but you can order online and have your gift shipped. Everything is going along. Everything is being planned. Everyone's happy. They're anticipating the future. And everything looks great. But like life has been for so many of us, so it was for Joseph and for Mary, everything is going along fine until it isn't. Everything is going along fine until it isn't. Everything was going along fine in March, until it wasn't, until everything changed for all of us. And some of us in this room in particular have faced other trials along the way. Everything was going along fine until it wasn't. That was what happened to Joseph. Life came crashing in on him. Verse 18 continues, before they came together, before they got married... Before the wedding day, she was found to be with child. Mary's pregnant. Now, there are two people in that moment on planet Earth. There are two people who know the truth about this. Everyone else is going to look and they're going to all assume the same thing. Joseph and Mary hooked up before the wedding. Isn't that natural? That's what everybody's thinking. Joseph and Mary hooked up before the wedding. But there are two people who know that is not true. Mary knows that's not true. And Joseph knows that that's not true. What Mary knows is that she has been impregnated by the Holy Spirit. But Joseph does not know that. Mary is completely in the know. And Joseph has this vital piece of information that's missing from what he knows, and it's causing him incredible stress. Everything was going along fine until it wasn't, because Joseph knows, that's not my kid. That's not my kid. And we know, because Matthew goes on to tell us, by the way, Matthew was falling asleep in high school literature class because he knows nothing about dramatic tension and how to string the reader along. He gives us the spoiler right in verse 18 because we know that she's found to be with child from the Holy Spirit, but Joseph doesn't know that. And in that moment, the normal 
awful tensions that life brings left him feel, feeling ripped off. It wasn't supposed to be this way. And longing for something better than what he was getting. His dreams for his life with Mary are shattered. Everything came to an end in that moment that Mary went to Joseph and said, I'm pregnant. And Joseph can be excused for thinking at the moment, why does life have to be so hard? And he makes the tough but totally expected decision here. Verse 19. And her husband Joseph, being a just, and un, and, and a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. By the way, if you're a single woman and you're looking for the kind of man that you should marry, here's a great description of the kind of man you should marry. He's a just man, and he wasn't willing to ever shame his wife. He resolved to divorce her quietly. Why? Because he loved Mary. Because he loved his God, because he had faith in him. And, and even though something terrible from his perspective had happened, she had slept with another man. That's his only perspective. That's all he knows at this point. And he resolves, I'm not going to hurt her. I love her too much. I'm not going to shame her publicly. We're going to do this quietly. And he does that through his own sorrow and brokenness. And all of that just kind of hangs heavy in the air over the story up to this point. And, and honestly, that's where we all live. We have this innate sense that something isn't right. Certainly that's true when, when we're facing difficulties and trials and circumstances are, are crashing in against us. We all, at those moments, have this sense that something isn't right. But isn't it also true that even when everything is good, when your marriage is good, when, when, you're, when your kids are in a good place, when there's money in the bank, and when everyone is healthy, and things just seem to be going smoothly, that we still have something inside of us that says, this can't be all there is. That even when it's as good as it could possibly be down here on planet earth that's groaning under the weight of sin, even when it's as good as it could possibly be, we still go, this can't be all there is. I'm still just so unsatisfied. And the song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, expresses that so well for us. Verse 3, for example, we're going to throw some of these lyrics up on the screen. Verse 3 points to the difficulties we face in life. Disperse, the songwriter says, disperse the gloomy clouds of night. And death's dark shadows put to flight. How many of us have faced in the past, we would just look back on circumstances that we face and we would say, that was like a gloomy, dark cloud hanging over my life during that period of time. And some of you in this room don't need to think back to the past at all because that gloomy, dark cloud actually followed you into the room today. And even as you hear the Word of God, even as we went through our time of worship, even as you're gathered with other believers, 
That cloud, you feel it, it's still hanging over you. And how much we would wish that death's dark shadows would be put to flight. But it's verse 2 that really gets to the heart of the matter because it goes deeper than just the earthly circumstances that we face. We're in peril, we find out, of eternal damnation if we fail to believe. O come, thou rod of Jesse, free thine own from Satan's tyranny. From depths of hell thy people save and give them victory or the grave. Forget the trials and difficulties of life. The greatest peril we face is that we would be separated for eternity from our God. That we would never find the satisfaction and joy that God wants for us. That we would spend an eternity longing. You think there's anything more horrible than that? Of all the descriptions of hell that we could possibly talk about, the worst, for sure the worst, would be that the longing that we all experience right now would never be satisfied. That's what we long for. This is the plight of every human being. Without Christ, we can make no sense of life. It's a lament, but one without resolve. There's only despair. There's only hopelessness at the end of this. We need to see that the plight of our life without Jesus is hopeless and despairing. But I'm grateful the Lord doesn't leave us there. We could see this next, that this Jesus-instilled longing also compels me to hear what He says to me in His Word. Now I need a word from God because I understand just how desperate I am. This is what we need is God to speak into our trouble. And so Joseph, verse 20, he's thinking about all these things. As he considered these things, as he's hurting, as he's thinking about his shattered life, remember, he's not malicious about it. He's not angry about it. He, he wants to still bless Mary as best he can while he severs the relationship. He's a good and godly man. He too is looking for the hope of Messiah. He trusts his God even in the midst of his pain. So he's considering these things. Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. That's awesome. This angel's going to deliver the Word of God to him. I know it's the Word of God because it's here in the printed Word of God under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. God is speaking now in a very specific way, a revelation to Joseph that's going to tell him what his part in the redemptive plan is. We are blessed to have the printed Word of God, the Word of God inspired by the Holy Spirit for us. So this angel of the Lord appears to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David. Now this is really important that he calls him the son of David at this particular moment because it's important that Joseph be in the line of David so that we can see how Joseph is part of the fulfillment of the messianic promises. So he calls him the son of David. This is our first clue as to what God is doing. Joseph's first clue for sure. Joseph, son of David, you who are in the line of Messiah, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. 
Don't worry about the shame. Don't worry about what people are going to say. For that which is, and this is the moment he's waiting for, he's going to find out who the guy is. (laughs) For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Now just pause for a moment. And just imagine how mind-blowing this is for Joseph, who's literally an ordinary Joe. He's just like you and me. He's going through a rough patch in life, and yet God sends an angel to communicate with him, and then to tell him that his wife-to-be has a child by the Holy Spirit. The angel reminds Joseph of the Word of God. He's reminding Joseph of the promises and prophecies of the Old Testament, all of which pointed to the Messiah, the Savior who was going to come. And Joseph, in this moment, to say it another way, Joseph gets read into the plan. And now, because he hears the Word of God, he can frame everything up. Now, this does not mean, by the way, that having received the Word of God, knowing that he's part of the plan of God, this does not mean that his life is about to get easier. In fact, just the opposite. It's just that now, at least, he's aware of what God's up to. The prophecies that Joseph grew up with, hearing these in the synagogue as he was a boy and a young man, they always pointed forward to the Messiah coming. And in in the song, we're hanging on. These are the lyrics that we'll hear. We're hanging on until the Son of God appear. We just need to make it until the Son of God appears until Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. We hear the word, we hear the prophecies, we hear the promises. God has spoken to us, He's given us His word to make sense of it all, to guide us and to give us hope. One of the most astounding things that I hear time and time again here, I hear other pastors saying it of people in their churches, churches where the the emphasis and priority is on just getting the Word of God open and working through it verse by verse to hear exactly what God said in churches like that where the Bible is preached and proclaimed faithfully. This is one of the things we hear a lot, is is the Bible's ability to read into a situation and understand it. And by that I mean people who will come and say, you preached exactly the thing I needed to hear today. I can't believe how the Word speaks right into my situation, what's happening in our home, what's going on into my, in my life. The Bible continually and consistently understands the human condition. And you know it's so common. If you have any unbelievers in your life and you've ever talked to them about the Lord, and one of the things that's always going to come back to the Word of God because you're going to want to share the Bible with them, and then you're going to hear some objections about the Word of God from these unbelievers like, well, how can you rely on something, this old book, and it, it's so old-fashioned, and there are inconsistencies in the Word, and all the objections that we might hear about the Bible. It's so common for unbelievers to critique the Bible, but then if you press them about it, very few, some yes, but very few have actually read it. They're critiquing it, but they haven't actually read it. Now, here's what I've found. If you come to the Word of God with a genuinely open heart saying, you know what, I really want to find out if God is legit, if God is real, I want Him to speak to me. And if you approach the Word of God in that manner, and I'm speaking mostly to any who would be watching on the live stream or here in the room who are as yet unbelievers, 
But if they would genuinely open themselves up to hearing the Word of God and having God speak to them, I believe that life change will come. I believe that hope will flood in. I believe that life will be satisfying and fulfilling because you'll understand. In fact, I'll I'll say this, and I've seen this play out uh, because I've known people, I know people who came to Christ not because they went to church, not because they heard a sermon, not because they read a book, not because someone witnessed to them. I know people who have come to Christ who didn't know a single Christian, and they came to Christ because they simply picked up a Bible and started reading it, and God revealed Himself to them through the Word of God alone. And I believe so strongly in that. I I would just say this. If you're an unbeliever, you've not yet been convinced of these truths, and you've not yet read the Bible or not read it in this way, I would just say this. If you want a copy of the Gospel of John, there just seems to be something that God uses in this Gospel. But if you want a copy of the Gospel of John, you just need to send an email to gospel at harvestberry.ca and say, I want a Gospel of John, and I'll send one to you this week. And then if you'll do this, when you have that in your hand, and just before you start reading the first page, you would just pray a very simple prayer. God, I want to believe, and if you are real, show me as I read this book. And I believe if you'll pray that prayer sincerely, and if, and if you read this with a sincere heart, I believe God will reveal himself to you, because that's the power of the Word of God and his Holy Spirit working in our lives. And so we need to hear. We have this Jesus-instilled longing, and we need to hear what the Word of God is saying to us. And then having heard His Word, this Jesus-instilled longing obviously then compels me to grasp the hope that He offers to me. Verse 21, the angel goes on to say to Joseph, she, she will bear, Mary's going to bear a son, and you shall call His name Jesus, for He will save His people from their sins. Now, Jesus is the Hellenized version of the Hebrew name, Hellenized or the Greek form, that's Jesus. The Hebrew form is Joshua or Yeshua, and uh, what it means is God saves. So, so, Jesus is God saves. That's the meaning of the name. And if we were to insert the meaning right into the text, it would read like this, you shall call His name God saves, for He will save His people from their sins. Verse 22, all this uh, took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by His prophet in the Old Testament, the Word of God, and then He's going to quote from the Old Testament, and this is, if you're taking notes, this is Isaiah 7, 14. Verse 23 says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call His name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Again, you talk about longing. This is the big prize. It's to be with Jesus, to see Him face to face. Being with God is the ultimate fulfillment of the longing to get back to what we had, to erase the groaning of this world. Everything that we experience that causes heartache and sorrow will be gone in that moment that we see Jesus face to face. All the sickness, all the struggles, all the death and dying, every sin erased in the presence of our God. The Bible is actually the account of God's direct and personal intervention in the world to save us from our plight through the giving of His Son, Jesus Christ. 
through Jesus' death on the cross, through His resurrection from the dead and the power that flows from that, we find hope. The lament rightly gives way to hope. This is what's in the song, O come thou day spring, come and cheer our spirits by thine advent here. I think of that word cheer, we've kind of lost the meaning of it, and there's certainly old words in this song, but Christmas cheer is more than just what you pick up at the LCBO before dinner. Sadly, that's what Christmas cheer has come to mean, that I, I've, brought, I've brought the booze, and what we're going to do is we're going to drink it, and we're going to act cheerful, hopefully, but mostly we're just going to be able to forget our troubles for a bit. But y'all know what happens when the alcohol wears off. The troubles are all still there. And often you're in far worse shape. This isn't that kind of cheer. This is something far more lasting and eternal. God is doing something real here. In another verse, the songwriter says, And open wide our heavenly home and make safe the way that leads on high. You can hear the hope in that. And another, from depths of hell thy people saved and give them victory o'er the grave. We need to grasp the hope that God offers us. That's what will satisfy the longing. That's what will end the heartbreak. That's what will stop the groaning. And then finally this, exercise life-changing belief in His name. Verse 24, when Joseph woke from his sleep, notice the immediate obedience. This wasn't just some crazy dream as a result of eating chili before bedtime, okay? This, this is, he knew he had been visited by an angel. He knew he had received the word of God. When he woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. Like immediate obedience. We're just so not like that. We're like, let me think about that for a bit. Well, that was a good word, pastor. I heard that from the Bible. I'm going to take a week to think about that. I don't know why we need the time. Joseph didn't need that. He didn't wake up and say, man, I this weird dream last night. Speed dials his buddy, called him out. I had this dream last night, you know. I just need someone to process it with me. Got a few minutes? <laughs> like two guys would do that, right? Two guys would never do that. He doesn't need any time to think about it or process it or consider it. He wakes up. He did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife. He got married. Verse 25, but then, oh, the sacrifices start right away, but he knew her not. How many people know what that means? Okay, for the rest of you, they didn't have sex. They didn't have sex until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Joseph heard the word. Joseph believed the word. Joseph acted on the word and that's grounded in his faith, and it was life-changing 
for him and it can be life-changing for us. It's a call to respond to the as yet unfulfilled promise and, and to worship him. It's a call to believe the prophecies and to believe the word of God. It's a call to believe and see your life change in the midst of the difficulties and challenges. I mean, think about it. taking Mary as his, as his wife, obeying God's word by doing so did not make his life easier. It didn't erase the hardships. They still lived with the stigma. People in Nazareth didn't automatically believe or perhaps even know that the Holy Spirit had impregnated Mary. Most people are still going around saying, you know what happened? So they lived with the stigma of that. Being in Roman-occupied Israel meant uh, that they were under constant official oppression in their government, but it also meant that they had to make a trip to Bethlehem for a census. So they had to leave Nazareth and take a, a, an arduous mountain route all the way down to the town of Bethlehem with Mary at full term. Then they get there. The town is packed because lots of other people are there also registering. There's no room for them. They end up hanging out with animals and having the baby among livestock and placing the child in a feeding trough. And then they settle into Bethlehem and they live their life and, and they're under the added oppression of King Herod who felt so threatened by this child being born, it meant trouble down the road. And in order to preserve the life of the child, they had to then escape, live in a foreign country in Egypt for 12 years, away from their family, away from their loved ones, away from their own people. His life certainly didn't get easier, but Joseph always knew that God was working in the midst of all of it. He believed, he had hope. And in the song, at the end of each verse, it carries the familiar refrain. We're going to hear this in just a moment. And it's a firm statement of belief. And when the worship team sings it, when Joel and Megan come up in a moment, we, we need to have that in our heart. Rejoice! Rejoice, Emmanuel! Emmanuel! God with us. Rejoice, rejoice. God is with us. No matter what we're facing, no matter what we're lamenting, I can rejoice because God is with me. Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. We should think about it in terms of Emmanuel shall come to us, church. He's going to come to us. The one thing required of us is belief in God's plan, belief in His Son, an understanding of His work on the cross, an appropriation of the power of the resurrection in each of our lives. And that's it. Will you trust in His plan? Will you fully surrender to His will as Joseph did? It changed his life. and It can change yours. So in response, we're going to reflect on the lyrics as Joel and Megan sing. 
And let this be the expression of your own personal longing for Emmanuel to come to you. Let me pray for us. Our God and Father, we uh, do thank you for your word and for the assurances that we have as a result of you speaking into our lives. Father, we want to trust you, and it's often difficult, too, in the midst of the challenging circumstances that we face. It's comforting to know that you know all about it and that you've made a plan for us. And so, God, I pray that we would trust you. I pray that we would affirm these words. I pray that we would have a longing in our heart and a hope that fills up every part of who we are. We pray all this, Father, now believing in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.